This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 34. Jeremiah 34, looking tonight at verses 1, not 14, but 1 through 22. Jeremiah 34, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, and all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, and all the peoples were fighting against Jerusalem and all of its cities. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and say to him, thus says the Lord. Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. You shall not escape from his hand, but shall surely be captured and delivered into his hand. You shall see the king of Babylon eye to eye and speak with him face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword. You shall die in peace. And as spices were burned for your fathers, former kings who were before you, so people shall burn spices for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have spoken the word, declares the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah in Jerusalem, when the army of the king of Babylon was fighting against Jerusalem and against all the cities of Judah that were left, Lachish and Azekah, for these were the only fortified cities of Judah that remained. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of liberty to them, that everyone should set free his Hebrew slaves, male and female, so that no one should enslave a Jew, his brother. And they obeyed all the officials and all the people who had entered into the covenant, that everyone would set free his slave, male or female, so that they would not be enslaved again. They obeyed and set them free. But afterward, they turned around and took back the male and female slaves they had set free and brought them into subjection as slaves. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I myself made a covenant with your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years, each of you must set free the fellow Hebrew who has been sold to you and has served you six years. You must set him free from your service. But your fathers did not listen to me or incline their ears to me. You recently repented and did what was right in my eyes by proclaiming liberty each to his neighbor and you made a covenant before me in the house that is called by my name. But then you turned around and profaned my name when each of you took back his male and female slaves, whom you had set free according to their desire, and you brought them into subjection to be your slaves. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother and to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim to you liberty, to the sword. Pestilence and to famine, declares the Lord. 
I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, and the men who transgress my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant they had made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf. And I will give them into the land of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, I will give into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives, and into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which is withdrawn from you. Behold, I will command, declares the Lord, and will bring them back to this city, and they will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. He thanks the Lord for his holy word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the scriptures and pray that in studying them this evening that they would profit us and benefit us. Lord, give us alert minds in this late hour of the day to, to think about these things, Lord, and to understand what they mean. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Clearly, one of the pivotal moments in American history was Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation proclaiming liberty for slaves in the United States. On the first day of January, in the year of our Lord, 1863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state shall be then thenceforward and forever free. And upon this act, sincerely believed to be an act of justice, warranted by the Constitution upon military necessity, I invoke the considerate judgment of mankind and the gracious favor of Almighty God. Of course, words didn't make it true, and it took a long time for the implications of what is stated here to be worked out, not only through the conflict of the Civil War that's given in the midst of that, but uh, through the whole process of Reconstruction and then segregation and everything that went into that. Nevertheless, that declaration itself was a significant and pivotal point in the history of our nation. Well, in Jeremiah 34, we read about a much earlier emancipation proclamation proclaiming liberty to slaves in Judah, slaves in Jerusalem. And the two remaining garrisons uh, in Judah, named for us, Lachish and Azekah, not much was left. But in what was left, King Zedekiah proclaims their liberty, their freedom. Unfortunately, it was quickly followed by an emancipation revocation, uh, if not verbally, then at least in practice. And so as we look at this passage, uh, we want to think about that and what that means, what it means for us. Now, the passage divides up into basically three parts, verses 1 through 7, a message for the king, 8 through 16, a broken covenant among the people, and then 17 through 22, the punishment from the Lord. As we look at this, the first thing we notice, of course, and really the central part of this passage uh, has to do with this this act of Zedekiah to, to, to make this covenant uh, to free their slaves. And you might ask, why this? Why now? What was his motivation? Well, it doesn't say, 
doesn't tell us, but we might speculate, given the conditions. And in fact, that first part, I think, is significant. That first, first seven verses, this message for the king, this prophecy to the king, I think gives us some insight into some of the reasoning that went into this uh, brief freedom for the slaves in Israel. You'll notice that the Lord sends uh, Jeremiah, or commits to Jeremiah a message and, and tells him to go and declare it to the king. Uh, that he, as we're familiar with, he was going to give the city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and Zedekiah would not escape. He'd be captured. He would look the king of Babylon eye to eye, face to face. He'd be right there in his presence, and he would go to Babylon. And yet, a little bit of good news in verse 4, the days are coming, uh, or the day, this says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword, you shall die in peace. Not only so, but he would be honored in his death when he dies in peace. Now, there's some question about that because in one sense, he did uh, die in peace, sort of, uh, but perhaps not in the ways that, that we would want to die. Uh, Jeremiah 52, uh, chapter 52, verse 9, tells us they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Remember, the test of a prophet is what he says comes true, and here's the fulfillment of it. 52, verse 10, the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and also slaughtered all the officials of Judah at Riblah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains, and the king of Babylon took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. It's true he didn't die a violent death, but he saw some pretty horrific things and painful things as the last things that he ever saw before he was blinded. He was put in prison, and strictly speaking, he died in peace. He died apparently of natural causes in prison, but it was not uh, a happy death. And we don't know if that's simply what the Lord meant, uh, or maybe what happened in this chapter caused that to be changed. The, what was initially declared that it was conditional. Uh, but Zedekiah's behavior changed that. At any rate, strictly speaking, it was true. He apparently died of natural causes in prison uh, and was honored by the people, but apparently, uh, obviously not a particularly happy situation. So as we read that and hear about that, um, it might give us some insight into why this happened, this, this freeing of slaves. They're under siege. And there's not much left. There's Jerusalem, a couple of other fortified cities, and that's it. So they're in pretty desperate straits, and it could be that they simply didn't have enough food to feed the slaves. And so by setting them free, they're no longer obligated to provide for them. It may also be that by this act toward the slaves freeing them, they were hoping to... Uh, earn their gratitude to encourage them to fight for the city alongside their previous masters. It's also possible that Zedekiah was hoping that by doing this, he could get himself in the Lord's good graces and uh, somehow uh, invoke the protection of the Lord for the city and for the Lord to change his mind concerning his purposes for Jerusalem. Uh, all of those are fairly... Uh, low motives, manipulative motives. 
but we don't know. Uh, but we suspect, I would suspect, given the, the situation, that may well be what was going on in Zedekiah's mind, because uh, they, they were in desperate uh, circumstances, a city under siege. Well, that, that's the message for the king in verses 1 through 7. And then he also mentions a broken covenant among the people. And this is where this is really the centerpiece of the chapter where things happen. Uh, verse 8, uh, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of liberty to them. And this, that the king decrees this and made a covenant with them to do this. They all agreed to do it, to set their Hebrew slaves free, male, female slaves, all of them, so that no one would enslave a, a brother or sister Jew. And so they did this, and they set them free. Uh, they obeyed, set them free, but almost, we don't know how much time passed. Apparently it was not very long. Uh, the way we read it, it's almost as soon as they had set them free, they, they turn around and once again enslave them. You almost hear echoes of Pharaoh. You know, yes, you may go. No, wait, come back. Yes, you may go. You go, I'm going to chase you with my army, try to bring you back by force. Well, they free them, and then they turn around and take away that freedom and bring them back into subjection as slaves, which, by the way, in, in the Hebrews, it's pretty violent language, uh, forcibly enslave them again. We don't know what all that entailed, but it wasn't just uh, an engraved invitation to come back and be a slave again. It, it was basically taking them by force and subjugating them uh, coercing them back into bondage as their slaves. Now, that didn't make the Lord very happy. And there's some important words spoken here that have to do with the larger Old Testament context. Uh, look at verse 13. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I myself made a covenant with your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years, each of you must set free the fellow Hebrew who has been sold to you and has served you six years. You must set him free from your service. <clears throat> now, we read about that. The Lord essentially reminds them of what the conditions were when he brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. That was to be it, at least for permanent slavery, for uh, for the Jews. You can read about this in Exodus 21. This is essentially quoting Exodus 21, verse 2, Deuteronomy 15, verse 12. Uh, turn back to Leviticus 25, uh, verses 39 through 42. This is not quoting this passage, but this passage is essentially the foundation for what is, what is said in Jeremiah 34. And how, what you say, why would they be slaves to begin with? Well, uh, chapter 25, Leviticus 25, verse 39, says, If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired servant and a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. And so there was this regulation. There was the protection in Israel. Or if someone found himself broke and had no other prospects, he could sell himself, that is, sell his services, to someone who was willing to pay for them. But the Lord had some built-in uh, points where freedom would return. 
Uh, every seven years, there was to be a release of slaves to allow them uh, to be free from that service. And uh, at that time, perhaps being able to be on their own once again. Um, and then after 49 years, seven groups of seven, there was the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, which involved setting free slaves, which involved uh, land that had been sold reverting back to its ancestral owners. All of this was to, to bring this, this liberation, this redemption, this renewal to the land. And that's what, the, what, what God is talking about here in verse 13, this covenant with the people. Now, this was all part of his covenant with them, with his people, uh, and, and that was the arrangement. However, God says in verse 14, middle of the verse, but your fathers did not listen to me or incline their ears to me. They had been disobeying that for a long, long time. And God points out even they didn't do it. Uh, And so this was encouraging that Israel or Judah at this point did do that. And yet they just as soon as they do it and take it away, verse they do it, they take it away. Verse 15, you recently repented and did what was right in my eyes by proclaiming liberty each to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house that is called by my name. He said, you did right. That was the right thing to do. Regardless of how sorry Judah and Jerusalem had come at this point, they actually had a point here where they did something right, where, where Zedekiah, perhaps the, the best thing he had ever done as king, acted, at least outwardly, in obedience to the Lord and setting free of slaves. But then, verse 16, you turned around and profaned my name. Why? Because they had made a covenant in the house called by the name of the Lord. They took the name of the Lord in vain. Call the Lord to be their witness. Pledge their commitment to this in the name of the Lord and then went back on it. God says, you profaned my name when each of you took back his male and female slaves whom you'd set free according to their desire. That's what they wanted. And you brought them into subjection to be your slaves. So he commends them. What they did was the right thing, but then they just flip-flop and went back. And so he accuses them of this. Of profaning his name and breaking this covenant. So that leads us then into the third section, this punishment from the Lord. And it contains familiar language, you know, their bodies being food for the birds of the air and so forth. We're familiar with that in Jeremiah. We see that. But there's something unique here in this passage. And I don't know if you caught it as we read through it or, or noted its significance. Uh, God says in verse 17, because you've not obeyed me in this, I'll make you a horror. And then notice verse 18. The men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, this covenant to release their slaves, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. All these officials, the people, the land, who passed between the parts of the calf. Does that remind you of something? It should. Does it remind you of someone? Abraham. Remember what happened back in Genesis chapter 17. And you read it in Genesis 17. If you haven't read Jeremiah or haven't 
gone that far in reading through the Bible, you read what happened here with, with Abraham. Turn back to Abraham, or Abraham to Genesis chapter 17, where God first uh, gives this covenant of circumcision to Abraham, the sign of his covenant with him. And then something very strange happens here. However, it's not chapter 17. It's chapter 15. It is chapter 15. Notice what happens here. Uh, the Lord makes his promise in verse, in chapter 7, or chapter 15, verses 7 and 8, that he is going to give him the land to possess. And, and Abraham says, how will I know? How can I, you know, how can this be? How can I know that this will happen? And in verse 9, he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he didn't cut the birds in half, presumably because they were pretty small to begin with. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell on him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, 430 to be precise as it turned out. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites, who were the inhabitants of Jerusalem before it became Jerusalem. It was Jebus, they were the Jebusites. You think, well, what is going on here? This is, this is really strange. Jeremiah 31, or 34, at this point, gives us insight into that. Notice what the Lord says. The men who transgressed my covenant did not keep the terms of the covenant they'd made. I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. Apparently, in making this covenant, they used this ceremony. And the ceremony involved the cutting apart of animals, separating the pieces, and passing between those pieces. Well, God says, you broke your covenant... So I'm going to make you like those animals. You see, what the ceremony means is this. You're basically saying, if I do not keep the covenant, the vows that I've made, this covenant that I have made, may it be done to me as it was done to these animals. Pretty serious stuff. If I don't keep my commitment, if I break this covenant, may it be done to me as it was done to these animals. May I be... Destroyed. The stunning thing about that ceremony with Abraham was that it was not Abraham who passed between the pieces. It was the Lord. The Lord himself basically says to Abraham, when Abraham says, how will I know? The Lord passes between those slaughtered, divided animals. The Lord says to Abraham, basically, may it be done to me as it was done to these animals if I do not keep the promise I have made to you. 
But you see, this passage makes explicit that meaning. Because the Lord says, because you broke my covenant, I'll make you like those animals. You see, what Genesis 15 does not explain, Jeremiah 34 does. And because they violated the command, uh, the Lord says, I will make you like those animals. Um, Verse 21, Zedekiah, the king, his officials, I will give into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their lives, into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon. Uh, The Lord says he's withdrawn, but I'm going to bring him back. They'll take the city, they'll burn it. I'll make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. So he, he... Basically says that this, this is it. You know, this just adds guilt to guilt. They did something right for a change, and then they went back on it, which just adds more guilt to the guilt they already had for the Lord. Now, a couple of lessons, just quickly, as we think about this passage. Uh, a couple of things should really stand out. One is obvious and the other perhaps not so much, but, but is, is, is definitely a part of it. First, it's obvious, is God is a covenant-keeping God, and we should be a covenant-keeping people. We, we, too, live under covenants as members of the church, as husband and wife. I suspect when you got married, uh, when you committed yourself to your wife or husband, you didn't pass between the pieces of slaughtered animals. Barbara thought that was a little weird, but in our way. No, we didn't do that either. But we did enter into just as real and just as binding a covenant. You know, it's, it's tragic that even among professing Christians, divorce seems to come so quickly, so easily sometimes. God takes covenants extremely seriously. Notice this was initiated by Zedekiah. They made a covenant in the name of the Lord, not that the Lord had commanded, not that the Lord had made with them, but that they had made with one another. But when they break that covenant taken in the name of the Lord, God threatens them with judgment and destruction. We need to take our covenants very seriously, even to the point where, as Jesus later would teach, just let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. When you say yes to something, you're committed. You shouldn't even need to have a contract or, or swear an oath or enter into a covenant. But your commitment to truth, to trustworthiness, should be that strong. But certainly where a formal covenant is enacted, how much more? Should we be concerned to keep it, to obey it? There's another lesson here that, that is, is, is clear, although not quite as obvious from the beginning, that this passage points us to our own liberation, to our own salvation. It points us to the salvation, the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. You know, it's interesting, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus gives that sermon in his hometown in Nazareth. This is what he says. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written in Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering a sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That, that echoes Uh, The passage in Leviticus 25, verse 10, proclaim liberty to all the land, to all the inhabitants thereof, which, by the way, is the inscription on the liberty bell. But Jesus isn't talking about political freedom here. He's talking about spiritual freedom. 
He goes on to say, of course, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is proclaiming this liberty, liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, not by Pharaoh, uh, not even by a fellow Jew, but those who are oppressed by sin, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus proclaims liberty to the land, to all the inhabitants thereof, not political liberty, but liberty from the worst bondage of all, the worst slavery of all, and that is slavery to sin. You know, the Westminster Confession speaks about this, of this work of Jesus in 13.1, of how Jesus set us free from sin, that we died with him, had been raised to new life with him. Paul says in, in Romans 6, uh, don't consider uh, yourselves servants of sin, but servants of Christ. Sin shall not be your master, because you're not under the law anymore. You're under grace, and, and, and that becoming a reality in our lives. It's by God's grace. We become free from sin that holds us in bondage. Uh, the Confession, 13.1, says, Those who are once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified. And they more and more weakened and are quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So they're, they're echoing that declaration of liberty and freedom, where in their language, uh, the dominion of sin, of all sin, is destroyed. Its lusts weakened and mortified, and believers more and more quickened, made, made, made alive, strengthened in all saving graces. Uh, to the practice of true holiness, holiness from the heart, holiness out of love for Christ, holiness as a result of the, the, the freedom, the liberty we have in Christ. But you know, the best thing about this liberty that we have in Christ is that Jesus didn't proclaim liberty-ish a little bit, at least for a while, until he changes his mind. Because Jesus isn't going to change his mind. The, the Lord, unlike these Jewish slave owners, will never turn around and revoke it. They'll never take it away. It's never going to come to an end. It's liberty, full and forever. Jesus said as much. We end with John 8, 34-36. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you do set free. We thank you that you do break the chains, shackles of sin. And Father, we thank you that that is a reality. And pray that would be more and more a reality in our lives. Indeed, Lord, that we would see the power of sin in us weakened and mortified, put to death. And, Lord, that we would see your grace in us and in all that you're doing in us, strengthened, quickened, so that we do live more and more in, in true holiness. Father, we recognize sin, even its, in its defeat, is, is a powerful thing. 
and doesn't want to die easily. And yet, Lord, we know the reality that uh, when Jesus died, its power was broken. And Father, we pray that we would say no to sin and in the power of Christ, yes to obedience. And that we would see in ourselves and in one another that, that growing holiness in our lives. Father, we thank you for it. Thank you for what we've seen so far in our lives, for that evidence of your work in us, that signal that we truly do belong to you. But Lord, we pray for more. Continue to sanctify us. Make us holy until that day, Lord, when sin in us will be completely gone. And we look forward to that day. Thank you, Lord, for the liberty that is ours in Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.